You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 290th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 944th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of May 11th, 2023. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's Banner Moment occurred on Wednesday at 11.15 a.m. Central Time. That is when Andrew Slater tweeted out the news that five-star McDonald's All-American wing Mackenzie Mbako will make his college announcement on Friday. Mbako, who originally committed to Duke, is choosing between Indiana and Kansas. And given just how methodical and quiet this recruitment has been, it's kind of difficult to assess whether one school actually has a big leg up on the other right now. This seems like one of those rare recruitments where we really don't know where he's going on the eve of his announcement. Okay, great. So what makes the simple announcement of his announcement a banner moment? Well, first off, it's the offseason. Not a lot to choose from. But it's also important to recognize the importance of Indiana simply getting this far in the recruitment. Because whether McKenzie chooses Indiana or Kansas tomorrow, this recruitment has already been a success for IU. How? Because his fans were much better off assessing the process that Mike Woodson and his staff were following rather than simply the results. And while Mike Woodson has done a pretty good job getting and keeping talent in Bloomington during his first two seasons, the reality is that if we want to compete with the Kansases, the Dukes, and even the Michigan States of the college basketball world, we have to start being in more of these high-profile recruiting battles until the end, sometimes the bitter end when it doesn't go our way. And here we are. Without a prior relationship to the player and having to compete against the legend of Rick Pitino and the deep pockets of Louisville, Indiana found a way to squeeze into the final two for a highly regarded prospect. This needs to be the norm moving forward, rather than the exception, for transfer portal players, but especially for high school recruits. Indiana simply has to start bringing in more top 80-level players on a year-in, year-out basis if we want to compete with the nation's best on a year-in, year-out basis. The groundwork that has been laid with the 2024 and 2025 recruiting classes suggests that Indiana's process here is smart, but it can't just be Zoom calls and official visits. We have to be there with a chance in the end. That's where Indiana finds itself with McKenzie Mbako as his decision looms, and it needs to become a much more regular occurrence moving forward. All right, now let me introduce my co-host this week. First off, to my bottom left... Of you sports coaching, you know that we got them. When it comes to analytic trends, you know he can spot them. For first class bracketology, if you want the top, you gotta go bottoms. If you want the top, you gotta go bottoms. If you want, well, want the top, top. Go so we're gonna go bottoms. Andy, what's your bottoms line on the last week in Indiana basketball? I mean, nothing uh, too concrete to go on here this week, except some of the schedule news that started to trickle out, which I know we'll talk a little bit about later. It seems like in general, 
you know, scheduling some incrementally better teams than what we've seen in the in the past so far. Uh, still got a few spots to fill there, so maybe those will be filled with uh, some of the same you know lower level teams that that we've seen in the last couple of years. But um, seems like they're doing a good job of filling things out, so it gives you a little bit more to another piece of the puzzle to to look together. Uh, but obviously, as you said, you know the big news is is the impending. Uh, announcement of of Mbako would obviously be a huge piece of uh, of filling in what IU really needs when you sit back and look at this roster, and uh, will lead to you know a lot of questions if they don't get him. And I know that we've got uh, you know intend to talk about that. You know, kind of what would be next if he wouldn't come, uh, and some of those things. So uh, that that's really the biggest piece of news from an IU basketball perspective uh, is uh, you know is is that, and we'll find out. Uh, luckily, tomorrow won't have to wait too much longer, even though, to your point, it doesn't seem like there's anything too clear cut out there right now uh, that that really pushes things one way or the other. So uh, which is kind of a rarity these days, as you said. So I guess uh, maybe, you know, maybe there still are surprises to be had out there in the world. Let's hope. All right. And to my right. He remembers the days when a movie cost a dollar. Heaven help you if you ever decide to pop your collar. Play hard, but remember, fake hustle is a crime. He's the coach, and it's Tonsoni time. He is the coach. It's Tonsoni time. What is on your mind tonight? Uh, just good to be here uh, with everyone. Uh, I'll second, Andy. The scheduling pieces that are popping out uh, seem to be uh, interesting and, and kind of a I can't wait to get the whole package to where you're seeing you know, where they were uh, rated last year and Going forward, you know, Andy and I, from a bracketology perspective, it's starting out to look even the games you should win looks uh, a little bit more competitive. Florida, Gulf Coast, Harvard, schools like that. Uh, so, so that's uh, that's been something I've been watching. Obviously, the recruitment is is huge. Uh, if it goes Indiana Indiana's way, it's it's just a huge plus for the Hoosiers. And if not, uh, I think your banner moment. Uh, is where we need to to be, but we'll we'll all be disappointed a little bit. But you know, when he opens up a, a couple of weeks ago or whatever, and and it's down to the last two, recruiting is tough, and that's uh, we we have to understand that we're getting in with these guys. We just need to find the reason to close, uh, and unfortunately, we we've lost out for years. Uh, going back to the previous regime, a lot of guys had us in our their final list of three and four. It just seems that uh, for whatever reason, uh, we haven't been able to close on on some of these uh, huge names uh, on a regular basis. Obviously, we got Hood Shafino uh, and those uh, a couple here recently, but we need we need a lot of players. So that's going to be interesting to see what direction of the conversation will be after tomorrow's decision. Yes, it will. And ladies and gentlemen. Coming to us from San Diego and sporting his brand new clock from the great Richie Carter there over your left shoulder. It's looking beautiful. Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle. He hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the well, let me quickly add just one thing about this. Dude just interrupted his own jingle. All right, Ryan. I saw you tweet earlier that the Padres are just dreadful with runners in scoring position, so... Why don't you rant about that for a couple minutes here? I'm still repping them, though. Um, big series this weekend against the Dodgers. Let's get it done, boys. Let's turn it around. Juan Soto's <laughs> heating up. I feel I feel, I feel, feel a, a break coming. Um, you know, what I'll say is, Jared, you're right. They have to be in these in, in the finals of these big recruitments, and they have to do that more often. It's Indiana where we should expect certain things. But a vibe I'm getting from a lot of people is, 
the program feels a little hamstrung when it does get into those battles because there's just things about these other programs that Indiana doesn't have. And, and one thing that happened, and I talked to a lot of people from within the Indiana athletic department and around the program, when they went to Kansas this year, they were shocked at the gulf between the facilities Kansas had and Indiana and the way that they treated basketball and the way that Indiana does. I mean, one guy texted me, just said they have a personalized intro, like a, a specific intro for every single game. And it's different for every single game. And they do this and they, they have all these light shows and all of this stuff. They have a massive hall of fame when you walk in. So when you walk into the arena, you are surrounded by the history. Uh, and then their practice facilities and the, even the gym, it, it, you know, the arena is nicer and all of this. That's a consistent theme when Indiana comes up against these other big schools. And quite frankly, Indiana needs to decide if it wants to get serious about college basketball in that way. Do you want to invest in the program the way other teams? You can only ride on the fact that you are Indiana for so long. And because, quite frankly, the way we think of Indiana is not the way the rest of the world thinks of Indiana anymore. Uh, because it's been so long since they've since this program has been dominant. So you have to make up for it in other ways. And they need to start investing in the program, whether it's uh, we've talked about a new arena years and years for whatever. OK, that's one thing. But the practice facilities, the the investment in infrastructure around, uh, you know, certain things, the, the multimedia stuff, all of that needs to go to a top level program. If you're fine competing for a Big Ten title once every four to five years, competing for a Sweet 16 berth once every four or five years, then keep it the way it is. But if you want to get these top players consistently, the name on the jersey only goes so far. And so there needs to be more of an investment in this program if they want to keep winning. And that's not to say they're going to lose this recruitment. But in general, the feeling around when he says Kansas is his other finalist is a, uh, you know, because of those reasons. So hopefully we wind up getting good news tomorrow. Um, but it, it, even if you do, I think there needs to be a bigger investment in this program from this university. Okay. Uh, well, here's what we have in store this week. We'll spend the rest of segment one talking about some Hoosier headlines. We got some interesting schedule news this week, so we'll talk about that. Segment two, we are going to dive into the McKinsey and Baco uh, recruitment, kind of with our decision primer. You know, kind of, you know, kind of how we're feeling about it, what this means, all the different uh, kind of tentacles that it has, and we got some good questions from you all, so we will answer those as well, uh, and then we'll answer more questions in the mailback. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. But first, let's talk about our presenting sponsor. Home field apparel, yep, this edition of Assembly Call Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network, presented by our friends at Home Field Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you will find anywhere, and one of, if not the largest, collections of vintage college apparel generally that you will find anywhere constantly releasing new schools constantly refreshing the ones that they already have i saw you know this week they did uh, you know a little bit of a a big 10 west thing uh doing refreshes for wisconsin and iowa and minnesota so you know if you happen to have fans of those teams in your life go to homefieldapparel.com pick yourself out six seven fifteen iu items because you're going to need them all and then you can go buy stuff for other people, too. It makes great gifts, uh, whether for birthdays or whatever it is. Uh, but the great thing about Home Field Apparel and the reason why everybody loves it is because the material so comfortable. 
It lasts through many washings. You can get whatever someone needs, whether it's a t-shirt, a crew neck, a hoodie, a hat, a jacket. They've got everything. And the logos are just interesting, and they have cool stories behind them, and they're unique, and you're just not going to find them anywhere else. Uh, and so Homefield Apparel came up through the Kelly School of Business. Great company. We love working with them, uh, and we hope that you will check them out too and buy their stuff. You can go to homefieldapparel.com. Use our promo code HOME to get 15% off your entire first order. That's promo code HOME for 15% off. Once again, the website, homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. All right, gentlemen, let's dive into some Hoosier headlines. Uh, and we'll just start with, you know, a couple quickies. Anthony Walker, uh, it is official. He is a Hoosier, signed the paperwork this week. I saw he did an interview uh, on Hoosier Hysterics, have not had a chance to listen to it yet. Um, but again, by all accounts, you know, the type of guy that we were talking about, a guy who's been around, can provide some of that leadership, provide some of that athleticism, you know, seems very comfortable uh, in a reserve role. Uh, so I think, you know, he can pay some good dividends uh, for an Indiana team that is losing a lot of experience and uh, production coach. And, I, you know, I continue to think about that when it comes to a guy like Anthony Walker. It really does seem like this staff was committed to finding some experienced guys to help bridge that gap of all the experience that is leaving. And so, again, I think for anybody who may have misgivings about uh, Anthony just by looking at his stats, um, you know, I, I do think it's important with this player in particular to look beyond that and look to some of the other intangible things that I think the staff was really looking to add. Yeah, I, I said it when we, we talked uh, on, on the day he committed. I, I just think it's you got to have pieces on a roster and, and you can't have eight guys that are going to go uh, play 40 minutes and score 20 points and be the top of every transfer list. Um, you know, if you do, maybe you get a, a guy that has better statistics, but there's, there's still going to be the type of guy that says, I want to come and play at Indiana. I want to play in assembly hall. I want to be a part of a, a, a program that has meant something to the community. And that's what this, this guy is with uh, uh, the experience of playing on a team that's advanced in the tournament. And so, you that's the kind of guy you need to fill out a, a roster. And when you had so many open spots, uh, you, you got a couple of those as your backup four and five. Those are good guys to get. We're just missing those other two, those wings, then that, that scorer and that shooter that really would, would keep Indiana going and prevent a step backwards. That's what we're all anxious for. And, and that's where the young man tomorrow would really fill a need. And so we're all anxious to to get to get to that part. But yes, Walker's going to be a guy that we're going to appreciate for the the role uh, that that he is going to find on this team, and and, and it'll be much needed. Uh, the transfer portal deadline is tonight at eleven fifty nine fifty nine. For players who want to be immediately eligible next year and who are not grad transfers, they have to put their name in the transfer portal tonight. It doesn't mean that you will see all of the names tonight. Guys, I think, can email yeah. their intention to go in the transfer portal. As long as it's in before midnight, they can do it. But just you know, just so that you know and you can kind of watch, expect a few more names to trickle out uh, over the next couple of days. But the deadline is tonight. So, you know, we've spent a lot of time on this show since the end of the season talking about we still have time, we still have time. Okay, now time is starting to run out a little bit, uh, and so we've got to we've got to complete this roster, um, but still some good options there to do it. Uh, guys, let's talk about the schedule real quick because we did get some interesting schedule news this week. Uh, a couple new games 
that we found out about. Uh, Indiana will be playing Wright State on November 16th. Uh, they you know, have been a pretty good program, have dipped the last couple of years. Uh, this year they were 197 in Ken Palm, which is the lowest they've been in a while. Uh, we know that Indiana uh, was going to play Harvard. Uh, that game is now going to be in Indianapolis on November 23rd, so another Indy game. Uh, they were 158 in Ken Palm. Of course, that was with Chris Ledlam. They don't have him now, so we'll see how good they are. And then Indiana will open with Florida Gulf Coast on November 7th, coached by Pat Chambers, a name that many will recall from his time at Penn State. Uh, they went 17-15 and and were number 185 in Ken Palm last season. And so, Andy, when you look at this, obviously the through line here is a whole bunch of teams that were in the top 200 uh, in Ken Palm. And, you know, so you add that to the other games that we know about, which is home against Kansas, uh, against Auburn and Atlanta, and then the Empire Classic, where, where Indiana will play two of Texas, UConn, or Louisville. You're starting to see how the schedule is shaping up. There's still room for, you know, three, four, five cupcakes, depending on how many Indiana wants to add. Uh, but right now, the schedule that we have, you know, this looks like a, a very um, fair but challenging non-conference schedule, I would say. Yeah, I, I think so. You look at the history of, of a lot of these teams, you know, Florida Gulf Coast, they had a couple uh, rough years uh, after, well, not after Andy Enfield left. They, they were really able to keep it up and be perennially top 200 at Ken Palm, uh, dipped a little bit, but then Chambers had him back up there, uh, Wright State. You know, one of their worst years was it was a year ago, but Scott Nagy's been there a while. Uh, they've had good success under him, have been in the top 200 every single year under him and even were uh, there most years uh, prior to that. And Harvard, uh, you know, they, they rated relatively well last year, but they were still only five and nine in the Ivy League. So even with that, they rated 158th. Amakers kept them again with with very few exceptions in the top 200. So. Again, for these teams, it feels like you're seeing less and less of the absolute dregs of of college basketball. And and I think somebody sent in a question about this, which we can get to later. You know, ultimately these are not going to be, you know, quad one wins really under any scenario unless one of these teams way overachieves what you would expect them to. Um, they may mostly end up in quad four. But it is better when you start looking at average of the teams that you beat and different things like that. It is um, that is important. And, and the other common thread between these is they're not the absolute worst of the worst from a league perspective. So, you know, the league isn't going to weigh them down. I think each of their leagues ranked, you know, between like 15th and 21st or 22nd last year on Ken Palm. You're not getting down into playing a bunch of teams, at least so far, uh, from leagues that rank, you know, 27th, 28th, 29th in that range where for those teams to really be beneficial to you, you need so many things to go right. And you saw last year, they struck one with Kennesaw state. They ended up being a lot better than people thought. It wasn't a great, great win, but it was further up the the chain from a quadrant perspective than, than some of the others. And so you kind of hope maybe one of these games falls into that. And similar to what they did with Miami of Ohio from a year ago, you get a neutral court game that should be a win against Harvard. Uh, again, based on the, where the cutoffs are, Maybe that gets to be a quad three, depending upon, um, you know, how Harvard shakes out. But you do give yourself, you know, some of those road and neutral court games matter uh, to an extent. So being able to beat somebody else away from home uh, is is something there. And I think from a fan's perspective, gives people a chance in Indy to maybe see them a bit more and uh, and things like that. So I think a lot of positives so far. Now they come and fill out the rest of the schedule with, you know, two, two, two teams from the SWAC and one from the Southland. Then maybe I'll have a different uh Maybe I'll have a different opinion, but uh, Chicago now, State and Fairleigh Dickinson. 
yeah well then nobody <laughs> just bringing in fairly dickinson just, just so trying to think of the never... worst possible teams hey, i can think of has yeah, fairly dickinson just... has fairly dickinson ever played a team from indiana hey, can you refresh <laughs> me yeah, just bring them in just so you can give them a standing ovation i feel like would be, would be the move but anyway that's true so, that so, would be okay of... that would be hilarious if we scheduled fairly dickinson this season just that would be that such would... a great troll move by mike woodson oh my god i would that love would it be, that would be pretty amazing they, get, but, uh... they, they come out and they get a standing ovation everybody's there in their fairly dickinson home field apparel shirts oh i almost i almost kind of want that to happen what a time to be alive all right <laughs> coach you have anything on the uh on the schedule and how it impacts practice it's just kind of interesting game one against Florida Gulf Coast. I think in game one last year, they traveled out to uh, Southern Cal and beat Southern Cal. Uh, and and they were above 500, and Pat Chambers kind of knows Southern a little Cal's bit soft. about the, the Big Ten. But it's still one of those teams like we had Indiana State in to start uh, a, a few years back and, and got uh, got smoked. Uh, these, these are games that you want to schedule. But you've got to be ready to play them. Uh, it, it's not, and, and so I was a little surprised. My point is, I, I was a little surprised that they didn't have a softer start uh, with bringing all these players together. I don't think it's something to be afraid of, but yet it is going to be a little bit tougher of an opener than sometimes you would think with a, a team that is going to be playing its first game together uh, in, in Assembly Hall. Uh, and then you know Harvard coming in. I just like I like you can't play. 11 power six schools. I, I think you could, but I think that would be uh, a, a lot to, to ask. But the other parts of the schedule can be uh, a little bit tougher than what they have. And I think Wright State, Harvard, those announcements so far, it's a good sign that uh, Coach Woodson knows that scheduling is important. And if you're going to be a, a good program, you can't, you can't really water it down with a lot of uh, those lower level schools. So I just think it's a good sign. A couple other things. Our friends at Hoosiers for Good are hosting the annual event on May 31st at Huber's Winery. Uh, it's going to be $50 per person. It is going to support NIL as well as Roche Inc. Uh, so you can go there. There's also a golf outing uh, that is attached to that as well. So if you go to the Hoosiers for Good website, you can learn more about that. And then the last thing I want to talk about, Ryan is, you know, today is the deadline for the transfer portal. The next deadline to watch out for is when players have to make their NBA decisions, which is June 1st, I believe. June 1st, May 31st. I don't know exactly when it is, but it's right around there because uh, there are obviously a lot of people who have declared for the draft but may not necessarily stay in it. Uh, some of those players may be the 11 from the Big Ten that are participating in the Combine. So you've got Trace and Jalen are there, along with Kobe Bufkin, Zach Eady, Coleman Hawkins, Jet Howard, Seth Lundy, Chris Murray, Terrence Shannon, Bryce Sensabaugh, and Jalen Pickett. Some of those guys still have eligibility left, uh, like Zach Eady, who I think a lot of people think will be coming back. Guys like Jet Howard and Kobe Bufkin, who do not have eligibility, I think most people expect that they will be gone. Um, but it bears watching. Ryan, any of these names particularly interesting to you? Anything you're going to be watching out for here over the next month? Is it uh relates to stay or go decisions we've talked about it before but i think coleman hawkins is interesting uh, that's really going to depend I, whether he stays in or goes is just going to depend on how he works out quite frankly i think how he plays in the uh scrimmage portion against other potential nba guys uh, because that guy has as much talent as anybody but i think it's several times this year andy texted me you know like we texted back and forth just like there is 
I don't know if there's a bigger gulf between talent and performance anywhere in the nation. Uh, like guy actually coming through and living up to it. And you saw flashes of it. Um, so he's interesting to me. I think Chris Murray is also interesting. He's going to have to show that he can consistently knock down NBA range three pointers. I think to stay in, I think he will stay in. I think that's a done deal. Um, but where he goes will depend on his shooting ability. And then, you know, Trace and Jalen, they're both going to stay in. There's no question about that, but they both have to show some things to maintain what would be a first round or where well for Jalen to maintain his lottery status and for Trace to manage to sneak into the first round. I think they both These need NBA to be playoffs able... have been good for Trace. Yeah. <laughs> but they also they also have he also has to show uh, that he can do things away from the basket. Not necessarily knock down jumpers, but play away from the basket to some degree. Because he's gonna wind up guarding away yep. from the basket in the NBA as well. And Jalen's just got to prove he's a consistent three-point shooter. I think that that, um, you know, you saw him go off in some games this year and hit a lot of threes, and then you saw him miss a lot in some games. So I think that he's just got to – I think that's the only thing scouts are worried about is the consistency in that jumper. Um, because the NBA, like, you know, college to some degree, doesn't love long twos, and that's where he lived this year was making long twos. Now, if you make them, it's fine, but, you know, he's going to get – People are going to try and drill him into step four steps back and make sure that's a three before well, scoring at the rim maybe. and getting fouled is the other thing for him too that I think that's the questioning big his offensive yeah. how complete of a package does he have absolutely but I think that a lot of people think he'll grow into that you know and uh, given his size and his ability to sort of get by guys but so those those two are, are are things to watch for those guys and and athletically how does Trace test I think is going to be interesting because he's going to have to show you know, a bit of a vertical and some other things because he's going to be playing against bigger guys, quicker guys if he's on the perimeter, all of that stuff. So those, those tests will be interesting. But I, th- I think Hawkins and, and Murray are two that are interesting to watch for me. Yeah, the, the Hawkins thing is, is interesting. I think just some of his on-court decision-making and things like that are like, you know, shows the flashes, but then there's other times it's like, what in the hell is this guy doing? Um, so be interested to see which version of him shows up at the Combine and if in that setting – Maybe he plays differently. The guy that I'm intrigued by, it, just only because I don't know how he fits in the NBA, but was entertaining to watch is Jalen Pickett. Um, <laughs> how know. does booty ball fit into the NBA <laughs> is the real question. Um, but but yeah, I mean, a guy who really didn't shoot it all that well from the outside has a unique game that I thought Shrewsbury did a great job of taking full advantage of and was an incredibly impactful player. What What does he or what could he look like in that setting? I think is kind of fascinating because it doesn't, seem to translate on the surface but uh, again is that a function of that's how he was asked to play because that was the best way for their team and and how might he be able to evolve and do something differently just as a player that i did not enjoy watching play against iu but generally enjoyed you know kind of how he played and uh and things like that over the last couple years at penn state so kind of one of the more intriguing ones of the that group just because there's not it, it doesn't appear to be as clear a path to what he can do i mean even lundy who is a far less impactful player at Penn state, but he's such a good shooter that it's like, okay, I can see it. Um, yeah. and Pickett's the one where I just don't know what that, uh, what that looks like, but will be intriguing to see. I'm, I'm with you. I don't know what it'll look like, but there's something about Jalen Pickett that I, I think I wouldn't bet against him. But you know, I like there's right some there guys you. it's like, okay, he's not this guy, but it's like Jalen Brunson, right? Everybody kind of doubted Jalen Brunson. He goes into the second round and then he's just productive and he's turned into a star. And I don't think Pickett will do that, but there's just some guys that kind of understand how to play basketball and have that mentality. And I kind of feel like Pickett has that. We'll see. 
Um, you know, does he have the skills to back it up and, you know, can he play the way he wants to play, but it'll be, it'll certainly be interesting to, to watch anything else, guys, any other headlines catch your mind? Any other final thoughts about any of these other stories before we jump in and start talking about eh, the little recruitment that we're going to find out about tomorrow? No. Okay. Excellent. Well, with that said, it is time to talk about Mackenzie Mbako. He's going to decide his college choice tomorrow. And there are reasons to believe he's going to go to Kansas. And there are reasons to believe he's going to go to Indiana. We'll talk about him. Stick with us here on the Assembly Club. Well, hello, everybody. Nice to see so many people here live. This might be the biggest live turnout we've ever had for an off-season show. I'm not sure we've ever broken the 300 mark. So that is very exciting to see. So thank you, everybody. Give yourselves a round of applause for being here. We appreciate it. There's news on the horizon, so they had to get in here. Had to. Well, plus, you know, they're Ryan's just hoping for facial expressions from you, Jared. Yeah. That's what they're. <laughs> they're not they even hang out long enough. Will you get a text that you're unable yeah. to? Poker maybe I'll face just maybe, maybe I'll just act just like I get, in on I get news. Ooh, guys, guys, hold on, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Worst uh, poker player ever. Yeah, that's all right. Ryan's in here arguing with people about assembly hall. People ask down. what I mean just about the another, facilities. I mean, another night in the assembly look, call. guys, it's <laughs> it's just known that the facilities in Indiana lag behind, and it and and you talk to people around the Big Ten, and they can't believe that that's the case at Indiana. And in, that Indiana, in what way? In what way do they lag behind? They're older, they're not you know up to snuff with all the bells and whistles that you get at some of so these bigger programs. I get that. I just get tired of that argument because Cook Hall's eleven years old. The locker room's like three years old. The locker room is actually yes, fine. That's one thing. The, the, the locker room is what people so, talk about. The problem with But Cook my Hall, point is, okay. is the stadium is going to take five or six years if you decide to do it right now. Agreed. Like, I, you need to recruit players now, but how often – I hear this with football all the time. How often do you need to rebuild the Cook Hall? Every three years? Every four years to keep up every, with the stuff? You need to, you need to completely gut it every five or so. To be okay and, now. And the other thing, here's but you also people. you also have coaches coming to us saying we need millions of dollars in NIL money. Like, where's the money going to come from? NIL doesn't come from the school though. That comes from outside. Now I know it's donors, but but, but let me. Are let me, they going to donate see. to school? I just You're I right. think it's a tired it's a argument. School. Facilities are a tired argument for not doing your job as a coaching staff. No, I, I agree with That's that. That's what I'm Coach, saying. I agree with that. I 100 percent agree that the coaching staff. It, but I'm talking about luring players. And players, especially ones who are only going to be on campus for one year, most of their time is going to be spent at the team facility. If if they are being pitched a team facility that is brand new and incredible and gorgeous and all of this stuff, and they're going to be spending all their time there, and the workout facility is, is top-notch and all that, they are more likely to spend it there than at a lower-level place. The problem with You Cook need a Hall, good banking system to cash NIL checks to that get is true. players on but campus. But there's no, there's no reason you can't do both, I don't think. I don't think it's an either. I'm just or saying. I, I don't disagree. Program, if you're a top pro, facilities facilities matter. But they if you do. have to tear down and rebuild every five years a practice facility to win, so I'm not saying that's tear it ridiculous. Down to the studs, but you need to redo it. Now the problem with Cook Hall, though, from the beginning, because of where they wanted to put it, it's too small. I mean, it has one court that is pen, hemmed in on hemmed in on the sides. It's it, the the lo- the locker rooms, the workout area, all of that is small compared to these lavish facilities you see elsewhere where they basically build the athletic department around that program. And 
I think the problem is, is they've sunk a lot of money into the football program and have very bad results. And that has been to the detriment of the basketball program, in my opinion. And so a guy we recruited is a Heisman candidate. So just cool it. (laughs) But I don't think they need to bulldoze Assembly Hall right now. They do need to come up with a succession plan there, though, because that facility is not getting younger. And there are a lot of problems with that. I think we would all agree about a third of the seats in there are pretty bad. There's no better uh, big game atmosphere. Don't get me wrong. But on a Tuesday night in January when they're playing Penn State, the balcony is typically empty because the seats up there outside of the first two rows stink and the seats on the sides stink. And it's not designed. It was never designed as a great now, Ryan, place to watch a player's not sitting here, not coming to Indiana because he he's in defense of the fans sitting in the balcony. That's just no, bullshit. But the atmosphere <laughs> suffers. Yeah, it's great against Purdue, but the atmosphere suffers and players notice that when they come on a visit and they're going to a game in the middle of the week that has a dead vibe in it because it's and they're sitting on the court and looking up at empty seats because those seats are not filled because they're terrible. They notice those things and people talk about these things as well. So I, yeah, I think eventually you're going to have to replace that building and you need to start talking about it. Now they already approved replacing it in like 2006 because it was bad then. And they never did it. Anybody who had a Ryan bingo card tonight has definitely got all their spots. Check. I'm just playing the hits, man. You, you just, you just, it's just funny because you just said we sunk money in the football program. And then I got all the football players, people saying, oh, we need new facilities. We need of new course. facilities. Of course, baseball you team. That. This has a brand well, new stadium. We need a new facility. Which, which should Indiana? I need a new facility. I need a new damn recliner. Someone in the chat sent me some money for a new recliner, or I'm not going to do next Coach year. Don Sony. <laughs> stop, stop spending so much money on other teams at Home Field Apparel, and you could afford a recliner. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> My ass is sore. Send me a new recliner. 1691 North Highway Don't 421. Don't address. Oh, God. You knock you your address. <laughs> yeah. They can find it. It doesn't matter. Jared, you're going to have to dump that. <laughs> Shafino! There's going to be people just on Coach's porch just yelling, Shafino. The neighbors are going to be wondering what's happening. No, oh, I just, oh, I'm look, just giving you a hard time. I know. If you, if you look at what other top programs have, if Indiana considers itself a top program, if Indiana wants to compete with North Carolina, Duke, Kansas, you know, whatever, they have to get on that level financially. They just do. It's. It, I mean, if you don't want to do that, and you're fine, and you're you can't. Here's what I say: as a university, you cannot not get there financially, and then be upset with the outcomes you're having. That's. I mean, that that's essentially it. You have to treat it like a top program if you want it to be a top program. And I think the university has fallen very far behind in that way over the past twenty years. Yeah, and, and where you're right is if decisions, if the money is there and decisions are going elsewhere when they could be used for facilities, th- then I would, would agree with you on upgrading certain things. But um, we we have a tendency at Indiana to make excuses for poor performance. Uh, yeah. I don't think I mean, the things are mutually exclusive. I, I don't think it's one or the other, Coach. I think, I think there's a lot of poor decision-making going on. The facilities are just a further example of that. Yeah. I think Ryan's, I think Ryan's point, to if we tie this up is Indiana basketball hasn't been as good as we've wanted it to be over the last 10 years. And there are a lot of basketball reasons and coaching reasons and player reasons for that. But it is possible that there's a glass ceiling on the program because of some of these facilities issues 
you're hamstringing if they continue to go over the next 10, 15 years. And I yeah, don't, it, I don't buy it all, but I do think he has a point there. Yeah, and I, just I think, think and I think to summarize it. Coach's argument, he thinks Thank Ryan you. is wrong. <laughs> so I think he's full and of wants shit. a damn recliner. <laughs> and he would also. And I'm trying to get a recliner out of it. Yeah, no, no, there, it's it's he's not he's not off. It's just it's impossible to replace as fast as people need I, it. Totally understand. And look, it's not it's never going to be Oregon where there's Nike money running through and they have a new football facility every three years with fountains and waterfalls and all of that. I understand that. I'm not looking for that. But I do think you need to continually attempt to keep pace, whether it's renovating one section every year instead of doing the whole thing. It it has to happen. And by the way, people who think I'm wrong, everybody talks about this behind the scenes. This is not a that you're wrong or something different. No, that this is a problem. Oh, okay. People around Big thinking. Ten all talk about they can't believe Indiana has not improved things. I mean, it it's people talk about it. It's go to Kansas, go to a game at Kansas and compare it to Indiana. Uh, like the entire athletic department did this year, coming back hanging their head sheepishly because of what they saw. No, that is well true. with the Hall that of Fame, the Hall of Fame that, stuff right, and the memorabilia. No, that happened. The Hall of Fame stuff is good, but again, in, Nabacco's not making some, a decision on a Hall of Fame. They're starting to make no. some changes he's, with certain things. He's, he's watching this show to make a decision. And Mackenzie, despite any misgivings we may have about the facilities, we still want you to come. That's how we help improve. Nabacco. <laughs> yeah, coach will chant your name on his porch when you have a big performance against Purdue. Yeah. No, no, I did hear that, and there have been some changes made already. Because of the what visit they saw to Kansas. at Kansas, yes, yes. that has I, definitely happened. That so. I mean, and that's what brought this back up. Quite frankly, it was it was that, but also the fact that people in the athletic department needed that to happen to realize the difference is kind of a red flag. You know, they need to be aware of what's going on elsewhere to improve their own program. It's not just about what's going on in your program. You have to look at the bigger picture and see what's going on in college basketball, college sports, and then apply those positives to your program. I hope that they will do that now that they have had that, you know, awakening. Um, but we'll see. And, and, you know, we'll see in their actions over the next couple of years, I guess. Okay, here we go. Let's get into segment two. This is Jordan Halls and I never miss a shot or an episode of the assembly call. The great Jordan Holes. He's a pretty important day for Indiana's recruiting coordinator, Jordan Holes, tonight and tomorrow. Uh, so we uh, wish him and the entire staff good luck. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with the full crew, the coach, Brian Tonsoni, Andy Bottoms, Ryan Phillips. Uh, fresh off another 10-minute discussion about Indiana's facilities. Woohoo! Always, always appreciate those discussions. But now, gentlemen, it is segment two, and... We have some important stuff to talk about, which is the recruitment of Mackenzie Mbako, a five-star McDonald's All-American. He's down between Indiana and Kansas. Clearly, if he's making his choice just based on facilities, we know where he's going. Thankfully, it is a much much more nuanced decision than that. Uh, I thought it was great. Our buddy Lee Butler, who's in our community, uh, posted this in our question uh, thread for today. It's not really a question, but a comment. He says, two weeks ago, we did not know about the recruitment of Mbako. Now everyone is panicked that he might choose Kansas over Indiana. Chill, trust the coach. IU basketball will go on regardless. So that is, I think, a good overview statement uh, for this discussion. You know, it is interesting, Ryan, in this 
you know, kind of this new age with the transfer portal and rosters so much in flux and, you know, just so many offseason dominoes, right? It's like Mbako is committed to Duke. He's going there. Filipowski stays. Mbako, you know, leaves. And because Indiana didn't get Ledlam and some of these other guys, now we have a spot. So now we're going after Mbako. Like, it's just the twists and turns of the offseason. You just can't really predict where it's going to go, you know? But ultimately, now Indiana finds itself... They did. They got off to a good start with the portal. We obviously getting Khalil Ware is huge. I mean, he's one. You know, he was one of the the prized. Uh, you know, you know, one of the jewels of this transfer portal class. You got good depth with Peyton Sparks, Peyton Sparks, and Anthony Walker. Now you got to fill these wing spots. And so, as you look at this Mbako recruitment, without handicapping it yet, like what does this represent to you? How important is it that Indiana gets, you know, Mbako based on what you know of his game and what Indiana needs? I'm sorry. Was that me? I just got a text from work. I'm sorry. It was. I was just work. Okay. You should I, act I, like it's you know something basketball related. Give us some. It's not basketball related. It's, well, it's basketball related, but it's work. Something related. the chat mob can grasp onto here. No, Embako. Uh, what he does is exactly what Indiana needs. He's a wing scorer who can shoot from beyond the arc. He plays great in the mid post game when he wants to to dive in and and uh, and get some work done there. That you can move your versatile now big men away from the basket, switch things up, get him on smaller guys, uh, and he's become really good at at pick and pop that kind of stuff. And and which is again what Indiana's missing is is the ability to shoot the ball from long range with a bigger guy essentially and and somebody who can get that shot off over anybody. I love the way he moves. I think he's gotten better. I think he's in. You know, he, I think he's he's become more athletic over time. Uh, he's not an off the charts athlete, but he's a good athlete, a good enough athlete. And he's a guy who can put the ball in the in the hoop. And, and and Indiana needs that on the wing right now. It doesn't really seem to have that on the roster unless somebody makes a huge jump this season. So basically, he's what we were asking for. Uh, you needed another big man, at least one. Uh, uh, and, and you got that and where you have the two backup guys as well, you know, that, that, that have come in and in, in um, Walker and sparks. But I think that y- you get the big man and where, and the other thing you needed was wing scoring. And I, I said, potentially another ball handler, they're going to roll with what they've got. And that's fine. They probably have a lot of confidence in Gabe cups being able to do that. And, and that's fine, but you needed that wing score. And so he fits exactly what you need, which is why it's going to be disappointing. If you do get to the final two, you're right. They did great. As you said earlier, they did a great job getting into his final two. But if you don't get them, then you're kind of like, where do we go now for that wing scoring? Because you need to have it and a, a versatile wing score to guy who could shoot guy who can drive and, and put the ball in the hoop and his size helps so much. So that's what he offers. And, and basically it's, he's a perfect fit for what Indiana does. And if he goes to Kansas, it's, it would be to me. I mean, I get it's a great program. They put guys in the NBA, all that, but, and they also can contend for a national title next year. But the playing time issue, he won't be showcased the way he will be here at, at Indiana. So that that would be a weird decision for me. I would say from the beginning, I wouldn't think he would that would have been one of those finalists. But again, it's a great program and they, they put guys in the NBA. So it's hard to argue. And the thing is, we don't fully know like what, you know, what his criteria is. We don't know that for a lot of players, you know, kind of what the right. hierarchy of their criteria is, but especially for this one. I mean, they really wanted to keep things quiet, and they really have. And so, you know, the point I want to make here, and I'll be curious, you know, kind of what you guys have heard and where your feeling is on, you know, just kind of gut feeling on where he's going to go. 
I, you know, as I said in the tease before, I think there's reasons to think he's going to go to Kansas, and there's reasons to think it'll be Indiana. Kansas folks are vocally confident about this. You know, they've kind of been talking it up more than anybody else has. It sounds a lot like Indiana people and fans after the Chris Ledlam visit, just to give people kind of a frame of reference. And, you know, there was a lot of uh, confidence from Kansas after his visit there. I'm not sure anything has happened since then to give them more confidence. So I think it's just confidence lingering from there. Um, but there are, you know, and we're not going to get into specifics here. I think on the Indiana side, Indiana has done a really nice job of kind of keeping it quiet, which seems like the wishes of the family. But there have certainly been things that I've heard, I think maybe things that you guys have heard that suggest this is not a done deal. And that's really kind of the main point that I want to make. Like if you, you know, if I was forced to place a bet on it, I would probably place the bet on Kansas simply because it's Kansas. And for the most part, they've won these recruitments over us for out-of-state guys. But it's like a 51-49 type thing. Like, I really do think some of the things that, at least that I've heard, suggest that, you know, it's either, you know, not decided or Indiana's in a little bit of a better position than other people think. Now, we're all going to find out tomorrow, so it's not like it's that big of a deal, you know, whether we find out right now. Um, but I wouldn't kind of go into tomorrow just thinking that it's already decided or Indiana has no chance. I just, that doesn't really seem to match up. It really does seem like it's a decision that maybe isn't even made yet. Um so, you know, we just have to wake up and kind of see there's no... Have you guys seen a time for the decision? I, did, I haven't seen any time for when it might happen or... Six. Oh, six was that stated? Announcement. I think okay. that's, that's what I read, yeah. Okay, so 6.15. So it will be in the evening. So we'll have to see if we get good news. Uh, we'll have to see about a, an emergency pod because obviously we will want to do one of those. Um, but Andy, as you kind of look at this and, and approach tomorrow, what is your approach for tomorrow with this recruitment? Uh, you know, I really haven't heard anything. So I, I, I'm basing this more just on trying to think it through. It's a little bit hard because you're putting yourself in the guy's shoes. And we texted about this a little bit the other day. It would seem if the belief is he backed out of the commitment to Duke in large part due to Filipowski coming back and presumably having a smaller role than what he would have expected, then it would seem counterintuitive to then go to Kansas because there's just not as much of a, 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 a central role available there. And I know you guys, had, I think Ryan, you had said that wasn't maybe the only thing that, that, w that led him to, to go away from that. I think that was a factor, but it, it, it probably wasn't the only factor. And so, you know, you look at it that way and I, I don't, Kansas, I think could not offer him the role in the offense that he would very clearly have at IU. Now that may or may not be something that he's interested in. There may be enough other factors that maybe the overall, team outlook, whatever you want to say, maybe swings him in a different direction. But I, th I think from a role perspective, you know, it's very clear that IU can probably offer him at least the opportunity for things that maybe Kansas cannot. Um, that being said, it, it's hard to, to your point, Jared, really bet against Kansas in that scenario, both because of how they've typically done from a recruiting standpoint, just the kind of program it is and the success that they've had on a very, very consistent basis for a long time. And that knowing you're going to be a part of that program. Uh, and and I, I think there's an allure to that part of it. I, I do think from an IU perspective, the, the allure for him is he's a difference maker. And as you said, there are, you know, the portal closes down here pretty quick and there aren't a lot of difference makers left. Um, and so I think if you're IU, you have to spin that forward and be able to say, 
you know, this guy really can elevate where we are. You know, I think you you talked about if you, if you put this with the, the walk commitment, not a guy who really changes the ceiling, but raises the floor a little bit. Mabako is a guy who can, is one of the only guys really left who you think could make a tangible difference in what you think the ceiling is of the team. Now that doesn't mean there aren't other guys that they go try to get, but you're almost trying to have multiple guys cobbled together to provide what you would think that he would would do. And I think that to me is the biggest, you know, pendulum swing for IU simply because he is one of very few difference makers that is left. And one of really the only difference makers that is left that has shown an interest in IU at this point. And some of those guys are big guys who wouldn't show interest for that reason. It's not a commentary on IU's ability to get, you know, some of these guys interested, but you know, there's a few decent big guys out there. I, those aren't the guys that I use going after. So yeah. he, he's really the difference maker that fills the biggest and most clear need on IU's roster. And that's what makes it incredibly important from strictly a basketball perspective. And here's the other thing I want to say, coach. And I will preface this by saying, obviously, I want Mbako. We need Mbako. He is a difference maker, Andy, to your point. But if he does end up picking Indiana tomorrow, I can promise you that one of the first things I'm going to do, Coach, is kind of try to tap the brakes a little bit on the expectations. Because one of the things that often happens, especially with freshman recruits, is, you know, look, this guy's a McDonald's All-American five-star. Like, he's got the pedigree. He will come in and be impactful. But we probably need to... I don't know, be a little bit realistic about what that impact is, right? And I'll I'll use two recent examples from the Big Ten, Caleb Houston and Max Christie, who were guys that were similar in terms of, you know, playing on the wing, good shooters, McDonald's All-Americans, you know, top 20-ish type recruits. And both guys were one and dones, you know, so they were good and showed, you know, flashes of potential. But they also had ups and downs. And they were also guys like you look at their Ken Palm profile, right? Caleb Houston, for example, overall, his offensive rating 103.4, you know, shot solid from three point range, 35.5. But in their 25 games against tier A and B competition, his offensive rating was 91. He's still a freshman. And so I just think it's important. You get a guy like that, the expectations all of a sudden run rampant and you put everything on this guy. You know, this is still going to be a team that X is leading. You're still going to need Kalel Ware to kind of jump up to star level. You need Malik Renu to step up. So Mbako will get shots. He'll have a featured role in the offense. But I think, you know, he's still a freshman who is probably going to be a little bit inconsistent. You know, the shot, he struggled in the Nike EYBL last year, shot like 25% from three. There's a little bit of an inconsistency there. So I just think it's important to remember this isn't a senior with four years of experience that we know exactly what we're getting. It's a super talented young player with the size and the skill set that seems like exactly what Indiana needs, but he's still a guy that I think fans are going to have to be patient with if he does end up coming. Um, and I just think it's important to remember that because we can get so lost. And is he going to come? Is he not? This guy's a difference maker. He's going to make the difference. He can be a very important piece to a really good team, but I just think we need to keep our expectations in check because a lot of times these kinds of players who come in when they're outside shooting is their number one skill. A lot of freshmen struggle with the speed of the game and the shot doesn't come right away. And so I just think it's important to put that into context and remember that, but still be excited. You know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, talk the guy down. He's still a really good player, but as a freshman, sometimes these guys need some time to adjust. Yeah, but he's a dude. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, he's a McDonald's all American. 
Uh, You have to be excited to get that kind of potential in. But what you're talking about is potential. Uh, And some of them come in, uh, the five-star McDonald All-Americans, and they skyrocket and dominate a team and lead a team. Other teams, as you mentioned, other other guys come in and mention, have an okay year, skip to the NBA. There is no guarantee. But you should be excited as anything because he's going to play and he's going to have his opportunities to have good games and bad games because his talent level. Uh, It's just the same thing with where. Uh, why we should be excited about where uh, he, he didn't have a great year at Oregon. There's some question marks there, but you get that kind of skill. Now you got two guys with that skill. You got your veteran point guard. It, it is a huge decision tomorrow because it just makes Indiana a lot better. It's not the end of the world because as I've said before, we we've got some guys coming in. We got CJ gun, uh, you know, Caleb Banks, guys that fit that mold of being long and, and, and lean and athletic that are going to have to develop if, if this young man doesn't come. And there are still some transfer portal guys, although it is starting to get to that point uh, to be in concern. But, yeah, I'm going to be excited. And, and and it's just like Hood Shafino. Hood Shafino had some games, and then he had, you know, the Purdue situation. Uh, but he's going to be in the NBA uh, that that should be exciting for Indiana fans if he does select Indiana because uh, we we don't take a step back and just make the tournament and hope we make the tournament. I, I think we are we are still going to then be expectations to be in that four through seven range and have a chance to pop if you get a, a talent and that potential is reached. But you gotta you gotta get your dudes uh, in you. you and he's one of them. So uh, it, it'll be a big day if it heads our way. If not, you just got to keep grinding uh, in that portal uh, and get a guy or two to to come in and, and then hope that some guys develop. No question. It's a huge recruitment. It would increase Indiana's talent. It would increase the, the ceiling for next season. If you get him, let's say that CJ Gunn starts at the two. Ryan, your starting lineup is 6'3", 6'6", 6'8", 6'9", 7 foot, which is insane. That's nice. And all good athletes, too. Yeah. So, I mean, don't get, don't get me wrong. I want this guy, you know. But college basketball is just different now. You know, it used to be you get a freshman, you start thinking about what this guy can be in his second, third, and fourth season, and really you can only think about it on a year-by-year basis now. Yep. You know, because is this guy going to go pro? Is, you know, transferring is so easy. So what is he going to do now? And all I'm saying is he's not going to be the player next year that he will be as a junior or senior or a second or third year player in the NBA. And it's just important to remember that, you know, if we can start going down that road of setting expectations. Ryan, I know you need to leave soon. So let me give you the last word uh, on this. Unless you're good. Yeah. For a while. What I want to say is uh, I, I, I did notice on Twitter and in interactions, everyone's saying, well, he won't put up numbers at Kansas because there's a ton of good players. And it's like, guys, college statistics do not matter to the NBA. Showing your potential matters to the NBA. If Jalen Huchifino had put up lower numbers than he did, he'd still be the same guy. You know, and, and and so like if he had split time with X more and not scored as many points or not had as you know as many minutes or whatever, it's the potential you show. They do not care what your numbers are in college. There are some things when they're splitting hairs between guys, they'll be like, Well, he has a higher free throw percentage. That means he's probably gonna become a better three-point shooter. Let's see what it looks like on the court. They use it as a guide to help them in their individual evaluations, but that does not matter. Plenty of guys have put up average numbers and been first-round picks uh, after a freshman year. So I think that needs to be, you know, understood that if a kid's just thinking about his future, well, he has playing time here, so he's going to put up numbers and therefore he'll be in the NBA. They don't care. I do think the path to 
showcasing his ability is far more clear at Indiana than it is at Kansas. That is true. Um, but that might not be the thing that is drawing him to college. You never know. There are positives to Indiana, certainly in this situation. And quite frankly, if it was me, that's where I would go. That doesn't mean that's what he's going to go because what he prioritizes is different. And he's never outwardly spoken about what he's prioritizing in his. So they bring you to assembly hall for your visit. And you're yeah. Like, and then I'd be like, guys, not going guys, here. guys, <laughs> You've seen other arenas, right? Cook Hall has one court. <laughs> one court? Fly me home. <laughs> um, but anyway, no, so we don't know. He's never publicly said, these are the things I'm looking for. A lot of kids don't. They want to keep that kind of a mystery. Um, so we'll see what happens tomorrow. It is great that Indiana got into the final two and and put its best foot forward, and, and we'll see uh, what happens there. The last thing uh, to talk about here, Andy, is, you know, again, a theme here has been, okay, you know, let's get this guy. But if we don't, on to the next. There are lots of options. There are still some options, but time is running down. You know, I think a lot of people saw, you know, Julian Phillips from Tennessee, uh, who India, I think he was actually the first scholarship offer that uh, Mike Woodson uh, yep. gave. He announced that he is uh, entering the transfer portal. I believe he's also entered his name in the NBA draft, which I think is where a lot of people think he's going to end up going. Um, but he's a potential option. A lot of people have talked about Jordan Dingle from Penn. Certainly Indiana reached out there, but we haven't heard a lot about that. I think his focus is on the NBA, you know, before he starts focusing on things. But, you know, those two guys, because they put their name in, they're in the transfer portal. So they, you know, they could take until August if they wanted to they'll still get the, you know, they don't have to make their decision now. They'll still be able to play next season. Then you've got some other guys. There's some, there's a kid named Taylor, I think from Marshall that I saw that Indiana had reached out to. Uh, you've got Dennis from Toledo, who I think is on official visit with Illinois right now. And is supposed to take an, another couple. So these are names that have been talked about as of yet. I haven't really heard anything that makes me think Indiana has a lot of traction with those guys. Like there's no official visits scheduled. Haven't heard of, you know, anything beyond just reaching out to contact them. So now is where we're starting Andy to get a little bit later in the process. You know, you don't get a guy like Mbako, your options do start to dwindle. And so that's where, even where I want to exercise a little bit of caution on, Hey, if this guy comes to IU, let's pump the brakes a little bit on what we expect we still really need this guy to come to IU because, <laughs> you know, we need someone with his talent and size and skill level to fill one of those slots. Cause even if he's an inconsistent freshman, he's still an inconsistent dude that is going to have some big games. And if his big game just happens to happen in Mac arena, like happened with our freshman last year, all the better, but we need those kinds of guys. So, you know, we're not going to come on here and keep saying like, there's time, there's time, there's time. There's not that there's not as much time left now. Um, and so Indiana is going to have to start landing one of these guys for us to feel good about what it has on the wing next year. Yeah, I, I do think to your point, there are potential pivots to make if if he doesn't come. But I don't think any of those is going to get people excited. Now, again, it goes into the same thing. Lee said this. I think I said this about somebody else before. You know, everybody's going to get excited about someone they never heard of two weeks ago. And then the sky is falling and then you move on to the next one to get excited about and then decide from there. You know, I do think there are guys. I think Dingle is an interesting one, but it, it it does seem like coming back to college is is not the first thing on his his list. That may end up happening, depending upon the feedback he gets and uh, and things like that. But kind of like you, you've heard other guys' names mentioned, just as some of the top guys left in the portal, but you haven't heard a whole lot of specifics around I IU's 
true interest in them and, and vice versa, their interest in IU. So that's kind of where, you know, we've, we've largely taken this, uh, you know, track over the off season of, you know, until somebody comes and shows up for a visit, it's okay to understand that they're out there and know what they might bring to the table, but it's not really serious until you're getting to that point. So unless you can find ways to get some of these guys on and maybe you do, and, and they've admittedly been pretty pointed in their focus on a small number of guys over the course of this process. Uh, and so maybe that pays off with Mbako. And again, like I said, it's not that there aren't players there. There's still tons of players in the portal, but in terms of guys who are really going to make a difference that you're maybe having to, to think that guys are going to take leaps that maybe are not realistic or, uh, or things like that. And you're going to have to take a few guys and just say, Hey, I hope one of them pans out. You know, it turns into like a, you know, late round fantasy football draft of, well, I'm going to draft a bunch of running backs and hope that one of them, that one of them shakes out. <laughs> I'm going to take a bunch of wing guys and hope that somebody, you know, either a guy that I already have or somebody there flashes and maybe that works, but you kind of move into that territory. And that's ultimately why, you know, we talk about him being a difference maker. That's ultimately why that part becomes important because you're kind of taking flyers to a certain extent on other guys potentially to fill out your roster spots and, and hoping that one hits. You know, and coach, one of the things I love about IU fans, man, is when you come to Indiana as a freshman and you put in time, especially if you're from the state of Indiana, man, Indiana fans love you and embrace you and defend you to no end. And so a lot of times when we or anybody else says something like I said, which is, hey, to feel good about our wings, we need a guy like this. It immediately gets into, well, what about Trey? What about CJ? What about Caleb? And it's like an either or thing. We all are, have been very clear that we love all those guys. You know, love Trey for what he's already brought through three seasons. Love the potential for CJ and Caleb. But at a certain point when you're in May in the offseason and you're trying to project forward for what the team is going to be, you start to look at, you know, kind of probabilities, okay? You know, what can these guys realistically be expected to produce? Trey Galloway in his third season last year played 27.7 minutes and scored 6.7 points a game and was an inconsistent offensive player. You need more than that from a starting wing if you want to be a better team than what Indiana was. CJ and Caleb have all the potential in the world. They were recruited, their recruiting rankings project them as guys who are more, you know, consistent producers as juniors and seniors, but can take a step as a sophomore. So we all love those guys, but I think we all also understand that we need either more talent or more proven experience. If you can get both, awesome. But if you can only get one, which may be where Indiana is now, you need to at least get that to kind of, to Andy's point, to have a few more lottery tickets for who's going to hit this season. Maybe it's CJ. Maybe CJ comes in, scores 12 points a game, and we're all like, man, remember all those silly offseason conversations we were having when our starting two guard was sitting right here all along? And if that happens, it would be awesome. You know, but I just, I don't want it to seem like we're down on any of those guys. I think we're just realistic about their development curves. That's it. Um, and that's where a guy like Mbako with his size and talent can come in, hopefully relieve some pressure from those guys. But now you've just got more options. And if Mbako comes and he's having a rough game on the road because he's a freshman, now, you know, maybe Trey steps up and that's one of his games or CJ is ready to step up and be a little bit more productive than he was last year. So I just want to say that because every comment thread we have about this in the community, you know, people come running to those guys defense. And I love that. It's what I love about Indiana fans. But I just I want to make it clear that we believe in those guys, too. It's just we're looking at this season. And I think if you're realistic about expected development curves, you know, you can't feel like this is a Big Ten title level or Sweet 16 level 
backcourt that Indiana has yet. Maybe it gets there, but we just don't have any evidence of that quite yet with what we've seen from these guys. No, we've said it all, all offseason. You need dudes. Uh, you need athletes. You need players. I think that was evident that Indiana had a, had a bunch of good guys, and, and we really maybe overachieved a little bit. Uh, but, it, you know, when you look at that Miami game, uh, we just didn't have the athletes to match up to, to Miami, and that, that's just hard to say. So you need – and you need a wide variety of, of the 13 scholarship players. You need to have some ability for injury – for competition, as you say, to maximize the potential and push people to reach their potential. Uh, you don't want to go into a year, you know, where you're bringing in two or more, two more portal guys, and they're really going to just be behind where CJ and Caleb are. That would not be good. You, you want at least one to come in and have a, have a, a pretty good chance to earn. They have to earn in the summer and in the fall, earn a starting spot, uh, but they have proven it. You said a, a great thing about college experience. No matter where you play, you have some college experience. Indiana needs that on this roster because they lost, uh, you know, seven seven players that that had that experience. So, um, you know, I just think the toughest thing for me right now is to is to figure out when Indiana gets back on on somewhat of a level playing field with winning. Kansas has won a lot in the last twenty years. You know, the young man's looking at: Do I want to go? Where do I have a chance if, if playing and winning is a factor? Uh, Mike Woodson's gotten to the tournament for two years, but that you have to be honest in saying Kansas has has more uh, experience. Self has more experience as a coach. Woodson has a couple of years. There's a lot of those factors that Indiana is just behind right now, and I'm excited for them to level that playing ground up. And, and that's where Ryan is probably right a little bit in, in the in the facilities uh, thing. But um, – you know, it, it's going to, it, it takes time. I've always said it takes time for Woodson to get into his role with recruiting and all of that. Uh, so it's just difficult, but we need, we need two more guys to come in and compete for playing, uh, playing time. If we're going to keep moving in the right uh, path of building this program back, if not, we may take a step back and that's not awful, but man, if we can get the right kind of guys in here, that that's, what's exciting about what's happening right now. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. All right, Ryan had to bounce. Uh, he is working, so this will now be an assembly hall friendly uh, zone for the rest of the show. Now that Ryan is gone, um, I mean, look, we got a couple of questions about the recruitment. Let me just see. Maria says, if we don't get Mbako, where do we stand? I mean, I think we kind of covered that. Like, there are some options. You know, probably the kid from Marshall. I think his name is Andrew Taylor. Like, he probably seems like the most likely of all the guys. Uh, and he just tweeted out a list, or John Rothstein tweeted out a list of 20 teams that have reached out. So that's obviously very early. So if we don't get Mbako, where do we stand? In a very uncertain spot. Uh, so we'll have to see what they do. Uh, Bob Thompson says, how much overreaction will we see from the fan base if Mbako chooses Kansas? And I just have to vehemently disagree with the very premise of this question, because Indiana fans are nothing, if not always cool, calm, and composed. And so I think we will all handle it. Very well. Don't you? The silence speaks nah, volumes. Um, okay. Sure. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, no, look, how much overreaction will we see? I think Indiana fans are pretty good about not, most of them are pretty good about not being stupid on Twitter. So I don't think we'll see any dumb stuff tweeted at the family, uh, which is good. I think there will be, here's what I think on this one I think there's going to be some reaction. 
and I'm not sure a lot of it is going to be overreaction. You know, I think a lot of it is going to be pent up, you know, kind of disappointment about the Ludlam recruitment, about not getting more traction with wings. And I think there's going to be a little bit of kind of fear and uncertainty. And so I think if he does choose Kansas, you know, we will see um, some strong reactions. Some of it will be overreactions, but I think some of it will actually be more warranted than maybe a month ago because, like we said, the options are fewer uh, and Indiana still needs to complete this roster. So it doesn't mean they're out of it. Um, but you know, obviously it's, you know, it'll be difficult. Uh, if you can't land this guy, I don't know if there's going to be another guy with his talent level, uh, that you have a realistic shot with. So let's hope for the best, see what happens. And yeah, and I think before you could at least attempt to quell some of those fears by saying, well, there's still time left. Other guys may come. A lot of things happen. And that largely has proven to be the case. You know, Mbaka was not a guy who was on the radar. That was that situation changed, but you're kind of running out of situations that could change with the portal closing and different things like that. So I think that might be where, whether warranted or not, where I think a lot of the reaction comes from, because now you've kind of got a set picture of here are the options, at least that are known. And all of a sudden I can't tell myself a story that says, Oh, here's the guy, here's the next best guy who I could still be almost just as happy with as the other one there. Yep. Okay, uh, coming up here on Assembly Call Radio, it is mailbag time. So we got a bunch of good questions. We will roll through, we got eh, five or six of them. Roll through these here next. So stick with us here on the Assembly Call. run to the restroom real quick you guys talk amongst yourselves we'll we'll do we'll do so coach you're probably single digit days of school left for you uh, yeah I, I uh tomorrow i'm off i got a, a doctor's appointment a heart thing uh checkup and so we're gonna amy and i are gonna head to bloomington after the morning take the day off so that eliminates a day nice um I think we're down to eight student days and nine total days. Gotcha. All right. Heading to a uh, baseball game this weekend or no? Yeah. We're going to go down and have a little bite to eat at Lenny's and then try to get to the game if the weather holds out. It's supposed to rain all weekend. So maybe they can find a little bit of a window enough. there. and <laughs> Enough daylight to, to play. Yep. So... Yeah, exciting time. Uh, your kids and everyone—they're they gotta got, be close too, we right? We still got a couple. They—they they got a couple weeks. They're done right before. We oh, okay. So, got a little bit. I'm not sure anybody's doing a whole lot of anything. Although <laughs> one will have exams, so I guess she'll have stuff to do. But I'm not convinced there's a whole lot going on for the other one. But <laughs> that's just the jealousy talking. It's not really even. <laughs> it's, it's not really. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to cast aspersions on, on them by any means. All right. You guys ready to roll through these questions? Yep. Let's do this. How, how is, how is your use of your facilities? Great. <clears throat> Great. Excellent. Excellent. Yep. Excellent. Well, well now I can Just making I can sure focus. everything was okay down there in the South. <laughs> 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 everything is good. <laughs> All right. Here All we right. go. Oh, <laughs>
What's up, y'all? It's Devontae Green, giving you the green light to watch Assembly Call after every IU game. Just don't listen to their opinions about shot selection. Remember, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Go Hoosiers. Thank you, Devontae, and congratulations to Devontae Green, who I believe, if I saw correctly, was named MVP of the league that he is playing in. Uh, he's been doing very, very well, uh, so we congratulate Devontae. I'm Jared Morris, here with Andy Bottoms and the coach Brian Tonsoni. Ryan had to uh, bounce off. But we are going to roll through our mailbag questions. All of these questions submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community. You can join us anytime over there at assemblycall.com slash community. Had a guy, uh, Mark, earlier today. We were trying to work through an account issue. We were struggling to get in, eventually got in. And uh, he followed up and said, it's the best IU uh, community out there. Love being a part of it. Uh, and so we appreciate those kind words from Mark. And we would love to have you join us there too. Assemblycall.com slash community. All right, guys, let's roll through these from Kara. Just curious, anyone know how Rob Finnessy and Christian Lander did at their respective transfer schools this past season? Uh, so Christian was at Western Kentucky. I don't believe he did much. I remember checking in on him midseason, his stats. Were yeah, I pulled him. up the – I got the stats pulled up for both of them since All I right. saw the question. So Give it to uh, us. Yeah, kind of similar story. You know, Lander played in 33 games, so I think that's pretty much every game they would have played. I'm going to, you know, give or take one. Uh, only average 11 minutes a game, 3.2 points. Did shoot um, 38.5% from three. Um, but, yeah, definitely did not have a major impact uh, for them. And uh, Fennessey had injuries, which, uh, you know, has been unfortunately a hallmark of his of his career. So he only was able to play in 12 games uh, for UC and only averaged 1.7 points. Um but I think most of yeah, I think played early in the season. I don't have a game log uh, in front of me, but uh, but was a lot of uh, you know I just the the injury. I, I forget what the injury was. I was kind of following at least because it was uh, you know it was local. But uh, yeah, he played. I guess he played the first set of games. Was off for about two months. Came back and played a few more games. End of January, beginning of February, and then was out the rest of the season. So. Uh, you know, kind of not the way he wanted things to end and, you know, with, with something that had plagued him even during his IU career, for sure. Boy, you know, and that's, I mean, that really kind of seems like a random question to ask. And yet when you think about it within the context of what we just talked about with needing to get better at the backcourt and needing more guys who can score, you think about those two recruitments. I think they're great kids. We're, you know, rooting for them a ton. I don't, you know, who knows the reasons why it didn't work out. But you think back to how excited we were when they committed and the promise that they had. And with Rob, even how good he was through the first 10 games of his freshman season. And ultimately, I mean, I think you could kind of say that both of their careers took pretty much the worst case scenario. I mean, Rob had some big moments, the win over Purdue and how he played early on, but just couldn't really get healthy. I don't think anybody when he committed would have been happy with a projection of him as the backup point guard as a junior, which is what he was at Indiana. You know, and that's where you get these guys, one a four-star, one a five-star. You got to hit on those recruitments in your backcourt guys, you know, or, you know, develop other guys. And they really are a cautionary tale. And I think still a lingering reason for why this program is struggling because they just haven't recruited guards very well. You know, so, I mean, obviously last year you get Jalen, you have X. That's obviously starting to turn around. But these are still two relatively recent guys that had really strong pedigrees that just really could never find their footing in college. That's important to remember. That can happen sometimes. I, I still, I would say that Rob had had an okay 
uh, career, he was probably more of a backup from the start. Um, I know he was, what, a four-star and that. Lander was the one who came in that was just going to be the difference maker and really has has struggled at the college level. Um, and, and then Rob's injuries, I think, really set him back, and, and then he became passive after his injuries, and yeah. I think that really hurt hurt his play. Um, but I, I think at best he was probably – a backup point guard to come in and run the show with the second unit, play some defense, be a defensive stopper. And at times he played above that early, which then we expected that going forward. And he kind of just leveled out. So I, I don't, I don't look at that as, as kind of disappointing or, or just a, a downward spiral, but Lander was, and what you get guys sometimes with AAU is you get that free playing AAU and you're playing with a bunch of all-stars and it's an all-star game. And everyone watching, fans, recruiting analysts, coaches see, wow, this is great. Then you get into the grind of basketball, scouting reports, extra work, knowing, you know, getting out there and being scouted by some of the best coaches in the country. And it's a lot different than the AAU circuit. And and if your natural talent can't overcome some deficiencies of playing, then you're going to struggle, even if you're a five-star. Uh, and that's where your comment about being patient with freshmen uh, is very important. You see some big names go to Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, and they kind of, you know, they 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 don't pan out because when they get well, Imani Bates is a great example. Uh, goes to Memphis and just was not. He was the best player, going to be the next, you know, big thing the in the Kevin NBA. Kevin Durant and, is what people were calling him. Yeah, and. and Yes, he played well at Eastern Michigan, but the question is, is he going to – he'll play in the pros, but he's not going to be what everyone thought because he wasn't ready for the mental, physical, the the, the, the basketball IQ that goes on at high-level college programs uh, because he, it was just so easy for him uh, in AAU. So you got those four stars, five stars that um, you do need your dudes. you got to take chances on them, but sometimes they're not really four stars and not really five stars. They just look like it during an AAU season. Well, and I think the other thing with Lander is the whole reclassification aspect. I know we talked about that when he committed that the you know the track record of guards in particular who have done that it was not really very good. No. And you couldn't point to a ton of success stories. And I think that really elevates the things that you talked about, Coach, with like the mental part of it and really having to face adversity for one of the first times from a basketball perspective and 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 maybe not being equipped to do that from an age standpoint. And I think it really puts a lot of onus on the programs themselves. This is, is to what support system do you have around a guy like that? And I don't think that, you know, I don't think that, that the, the system, he, the support system he needed was not there. And then for him, you face that adversity, things don't work out. You think that going down a level, but is he just, you know, kind of lost from a confidence standpoint to even be able to step down to a conference USA school and be able to step in and, uh, and do some things there. His, his career is far from over as you look at things like that, but it does kind of spiral. seems like it spiraled quickly for him uh, from that standpoint. And, and because he, and then he still wasn't able to rebound a year ago, which is, uh, which is hard. And, and you kind of wonder what the trajectory of that looked like. Not if, he didn't go to IU or whatever, but if you played your senior year of high school and did those things and and stepped in a, a year older to a, a major college basketball program, like what what would that be? Maybe it's no different at all. Uh, it, you know, you just don't know. But it is one of those things that um, you know may have had also played a factor in his some of his struggles. 
By the way, I know we got a couple people uh, in here where, like Mike says, surprise cups isn't mentioned more. I think he is a big key for next year. Uh, you know, someone agreed with that. We all love Gabe Cups. I think, and I think Gabe Cups, I think the staff expects him to play minutes next season. But these two examples are exactly why we're trying to be patient with a guy like Gabe Cups, who has a lot of skills and did a lot in high school, but was still a guy who was a sub 100 recruit. Um, you know, and we're talking about a Rob Finnessy who was, I think, right around 100, Christian Lander, who was a, you know, five star, four star guy. It's just, it's hard for some of these guys. Um, and so I think even with Gabe Cups, who Indiana fans are, understandably excited about you still have to be patient with those guys, you know, and understand it's going to take a little while. Um, and they may not always hit the ground running. Some will, some won't, um, but just let each guy kind of run their own race. Uh, and let's be careful about what expectations we place on them as fans. Uh, Jeremy says, after we win our next title, will the Sunday newsletter be called seven banner Sunday? You better believe it. The very next one immediately following the national championship victory, we will immediately switch it to seven banner Sunday Cannot tell you how excited I am to change all those graphics. I will stay up late and do it uh, just so that we can have that. Um, Jared asked a question about the schedule. We kind of talked about that already. Uh, Jeff says, between TJD and Jalen Huchifino, we had two players who emerged to be that alpha player that could carry the team. Who is that player for next year's squad, Andy? X is the obvious answer. He better be the answer. I think just his natural personality, like he's just that guy and he would have been that guy last year. Is there anyone else that you can see kind of stepping up and taking on that type of role uh, alongside X? I think we had a similar question to this a week or two ago. And and I feel like the consensus answer tended to be Trey uh, just from a personality standpoint. Um, You you don't have a lot of returning guys. I think the, you know, potential dark horse in that scenario was a, a guy like Renew, uh, if I remember correctly, what we talked about then, a guy who's going to play an integral role, get a little more confident, was able to learn from, you know, Trace for a year and things like that. So those feel like the two, I, X is the clear answer, but I think those would be the two of the returning players who you would think could maybe step into those shoes based on their role on the team uh, and, and maybe a bit of their personality. And, you know, for new guys, and I think we said this before, so at least hopefully we're being consistent. I think it's a lot to ask of new guys to come in and do that. So no matter what, where is, he's a young guy who experienced some struggles last year. Is that really what you want him to do to, to be kind of thrust into more of a leadership role? Probably not. Maybe a Peyton Sparks who's been, you know, around a couple of years, but is new to the program that puts, that feels like a difficult position. So you know, I, I tended to lean more toward who of the returning players would it be? And those were the, the three that came to mind first. All right, let's hit up a couple. Yeah, I, oh, yeah, go ahead, Coach. If you have I, I, I'm just interested to see where Renew goes. Um, you know, he's obviously got to make sure that he stays on the floor and, 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 and those kinds of things, the foul trouble and everything. But he he was not hesitant uh, to score in the post and, and, and play uh, as a college freshman. He has that body uh, that is needed. And, and so it, I'm, I'm really – interested to see if he doesn't become that as Andy said Trey I think we talked to his leadership role too I think the question might have been asked Andy when we were on um but I think Malik has a little bit of that attitude in him too like I'm gonna get things done I mean we maybe did not see a lot of that as a freshman year because he's going through that freshman you know learning Uh, so I'm interested to see if he becomes uh that that second guy to x uh in, in that role 
Andy, I know you have to bounce. We got a couple questions about the schedule, so let me just kind of combine them into one that you two can hit. Basically, with the rest of the games that Indiana has left to schedule in the non-conference, what do you think would be the ideal way for them to schedule those games, taking into account strength of schedule, impact on the net, also just needing to actually win games and needing opportunities to get your young guys in? Like To you, factoring in all that stuff, how would you like to see the rest of the schedule filled out? You know, I think that I guess probably what I would like and what I think will happen are probably two different things. Uh, I think I would probably prefer to get one more, maybe not marquee game, but game against another major conference opponent, uh, even if that's on a neutral floor, uh, as you look at it that way. I think that, you know, they've got the presumably the four games that will be meaningful this year. Now, if you draw Louisville for one of your Empire Classic games, I don't know that you can expect them to be while they'll probably be better than last year, if for no other reason, then they almost can't be worse. Um, but you know, that that's a game that other, you know, being on a neutral court probably doesn't do a lot for you. So, and I don't know when those get determined who you play in that scenario or not, but, um, you know, personally would rather have another one of those better games. So you kind of guarantee yourself four big games and things like that. I am inclined to think they will not do that just because it is going to be, a heavily turned over roster with a lot of questions and you probably want to find ways to get your wins. And it seems like the pattern they've used so far is I'm still going to schedule to get wins, but if do, I think I can still get the wins against maybe a little bit tougher teams than what they played in the past. I think that's a good model. I think you will see a couple team games against teams from, you know, low level conferences. So, you know, the SWAC, the Southland, the MEAC, you know, maybe the NEC, something like that. Those are typically like some of your perennially lowest rated conferences. I think you will probably see a couple games against teams like that. But in general, I like, I think particularly if they don't go out and schedule another big, big game, like, can you find a max school to play? Can you find some of those ones from leagues that are at least a little bit middle of the road um, team that maybe has a chance to be a top 100 that you, you still think you can, you, you can beat. I do think they're going to skew more toward how do we win games? Because I think that probably for the makeup of this particular team is going to be important, probably a little bit similar to Woodson's first year where I think they took that tact maybe a bit more than what they did uh, a year ago. But it, I, I, I do, like I said before, I like what they've done because I think it's a lot of games that aren't, that don't set up to hurt you. Um, but I do think you could use another one that maybe sets up to help you. And so now you're trying to fill the void left by no more Big Ten ACC challenge. IU, I think, is not going to or it would be unlikely to play in the Gavit games based on kind of the commitments that have made there and the fact that not every school plays in it. So those two potential routes to getting games like that are not there for you. You know, what can you get? Can you get a Missouri Valley school? Can you get a, you know, could you get a Mountain West school even that maybe gives you something to, you know, that's a little bit better uh, of a game. So those would be things I'd like to see. Uh, I don't know what you will see. I think you're going to have a couple clear cupcakes to, to be had for sure. But um, that's at least my initial thoughts. Coach, anything else to add to that? I, I, I think there's just two. Uh, I agree with everything Andy said. There, there's two scheduling uh, decisions that are huge. One is uh, get a, get another big school because of the Louisville potential situation. I think I've always thought five, power five and then six others 
And of those others, you might want to go three that are somewhat competitive and three that you can get film because they press, they zone. You're going to beat them even if you play bad. So I think th- – does the Empire count uh, it towards the 11? I think you only get 11 non-conference, right? I so think there's it two would. Games yeah, there. you have a few of those, yeah. Yeah, so th- those both count. So you're sitting at uh, seven games scheduled. So you have, uh, you know, get two games you can win, get on film, get another game like a Harvard Wright State, and then go get yourself a, another neutral court game or something uh, that is uh, a, a challenge. And even in a year where you're mixing players together and you might want to go a little bit light on your schedule, I still think at the end that gets you ready for conference play and it helps your position to to get in the tournament and get a seed uh as opposed to, to doing elsewhere. So I think it, for me, it comes down to what Andy's saying is two decisions and then fill in wherever you can grab someone. All right, Andy, thank you. Have a good yep, night. Appreciate Have a good it. weekend. Good night, Andy. Talk to you soon. Sounds good. Talk to you guys later. Uh, Coach, I got time for probably one more here. Uh, and we got a good sure. question from Kevin. He says, I know we always want to win now and that wing is a major need regardless. And I believe we will use one of our remaining slots for a wing. As for a shooting guard, are we concerned at all about blocking younger talent from blossoming, like C.J. Gunner, Ja'Kai Newton, if we were to bring in a decent but not great veteran guard? How much does the raising of the floor compete with the potential lowering of the ceiling by not giving our young guards room to grow? It's a great question, and I think it is... um, It's not really... I, I don't think it's been something that the coaches have necessarily had to think about yet because all of the guys that they've gone after have been clear upgrades. Right. You've either got a high school recruit who is a five star guy where you're like, okay, this guy's great, or you've got, you know, kind of a proven guy who's done it at the college level for three or four years. And so all the guys that we've been looking at, all the guys that we've had on campus for official visits, it's been a clear upgrade. If you don't get Mbako, and even if you do get Mbako and you still have that one slot left, now I think that decision is going to be interesting. You know, so take for example this kid from Marshall, Taylor. I haven't really watched him very much. His stats look pretty good. You know, he's got some experience. It seems like he would be an upgrade. But that is where I think the staff would, you know, they have to make sure that they're going through, okay, we can bring this guy in and give him minutes. Is he going to be so much better than what, you know, CJ or Jakai or someone else could be where it makes sense to not allow them to get that time for development? And so, you know, it's – there's no like perfect way to say, okay, you need a guy who has done this to believe in him. You don't, you know, but this is where the coaches have to say, really have to use their judgment to say, okay, if we're going to bring someone in, assuming that they're going to play over the guys that we already have, we have to know that they're going to give us a lot this year to make that worth it. Because if not, you know, if, if your options just aren't that great and it's like, all right, you know, this guy scored 12 points a game in the Mac. He's a junior, like, he probably would be an upgrade, but if you're only lukewarm about it, maybe you should give your young guys some run. So there's not a perfect answer there, but this is where coaches earn their money is having to make these decisions. And I do think it hasn't been something that we've had to worry about much through the first five, six weeks of the off season. I do think now, once we get past the Mbako recruitment, um, especially if he says no, and you still have two more slots to fill, I think that's going to be you know a real challenge for the staff to make sure that someone that they bring in is a definite upgrade over a young guy that they and we obviously believe in. Yeah, the transfer portal changes everything um, because you can go more year to year now. Because even if you uh, 
have have a younger player who you believe in, but all of a sudden you recruit over or you transfer portal over and he's not happy and he leaves at the end of the next year, you always got that transfer portal. I'm I'm appreciative of the transfer portal for young men being able to choose where they go, but it is one of the negatives of the transfer portal that it does become year-by-year roster building as opposed to the old four-year, we want to bring a freshman in. You have those guys. You have to communicate in your recruiting to get those guys. And it, it goes back to what I thought Coach Woodson's best thing is communicating. Uh, he's bringing, uh, you know, the two post players in as backup players. He's probably honest saying this is where you're going to be to bring them in. Well, you do have two guys who I think are going to be very good Indiana players at some point, and you do need to consider their development. And if you just bring players into play and they sit for a second year, you're probably going to lose them. Um, and unfortunately – that's part of the decision-making now because you do need to win now and keep winning now um, in the college game uh, because it's so competitive. And, and the transfer portal, uh, every team is one year away from you know making two or three really good choices, and it pops from moving from 13th in a division up to 7th and snagging that spot of yours. So, you know, uh, the key word for me, Jared, is competition. If you're going to bring in someone that's on a level, you have to talk to your returning players and that transfer portal person say, you are going to compete for minutes and and not promise uh, everyone you bring in, you're going to get this minutes over. You can't say, I'm, I'm, I am focusing on the transfer guys and I'm not remembering our guys that we brought in as recruits because then that word gets out and you're not going to be able to bring in any recruits and you're going to have to live through the transfer portal. Uh, Musselman does a little bit of that. He's starting to get some recruits, but it is a fine line and a tough job in college now to decide what that roster is going to look like, where is it going to come from and who you're going to recruit over. And the key thing is communicate and compete. And if you're fair as a coach and you give someone who's playing better in practice that time. I mean, you see it in college basketball where a guy comes in, you think they're going to play minutes, and they had 17 points at a smaller school. They come in, and younger guys beat them out. Uh, good coaches will allow that to happen. Uh, so I, I think that's that's something just to keep an eye on as this transfer portal keeps growing, I guess. So someone just posted, I'm just watching Jared hoping for a terrible poker face moment. Nope. No, uh, no, no texts or DMs during this show. We will wait, uh, like everybody else, to see tomorrow. Um, like I said, I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons on both sides to feel confident. Um, you know, and if you're looking at all the Kansas confidence, and you're like, boy, they seem like really confident. You know, just remember, that's kind of how they've been for seven to ten days, and things may have changed uh, in the time since Kansas developed all their confidence something that we had happen to us recently. So I say all that to say, I don't think anybody who, what's the best way to put this among the people that I've talked to, the people who would actually know, don't know. So I don't put a whole lot of stock into what some of these other people say who I don't really have any history or track record with. Um, and so we will just wait and see what happens tomorrow. Obviously, if we get good news, from an Indiana perspective, then we will do everything that we can to have an emergency podcast as soon after the announcement as possible. Um, so stay tuned in the community on Twitter for that. We'll announce um, the details of that. But otherwise, 
Uh, that is it. That's going to do it for us on this edition of the Assembly Call. If you uh, ever want to see us do the show live, you can join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thank you, as always, to Bob Thompson for producing our music and to John Ringer of rigdesign.com for designing our logos. And thank you for listening and to all the people who were here live. We appreciate it. We'll be back to talk IU basketball hopefully tomorrow, but definitely next Thursday. Uh, Until then. Take it from me, Thomas Bryant. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Go Hoosiers. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Here I come. This is Don Sony. All right. Let's see what happens. Let's see what uh, happens. I will probably be available. I'll be at the IU baseball game. I'll bring my earbuds and try to find a spot or go back out to the car if something pops, if I can. It might rain, so. It might. Who knows? Okay. Well, we'll be ready. Do what we have to do. Hopefully, we get some good news. Hopefully. All right, Coach. Good seeing you, as always. Remember, send send either money or the, the U-Haul with the recliner to Delphi. <laughs> That's right. I got to upgrade my facilities. That's right. You got to upgrade. Hey, you're going to lose. It's been six, 16 years since can I've you, upgraded this facility. Coach, can you imagine trying to recruit new people into Delphi Bracketology with these? Sec- when was the last time you upgraded your facilities? Like four or five years ago when you started it? I mean, come on. You yeah. got to upgrade so you can get better talent in there and get better brackets to beat bottoms. Exactly. So. Come on. <laughs> I'm working I'm working with some guys on a new league, a new bracketology league. A new bracketology um, league, really? National national uh thing. Um we're working on the the foundations of the decision to to get some of the veteran guys into a league or a Really? Consortium or something where it's one place and a new scoring system. And, uh, so different the from the Matrix, of, you mean? From the Matrix, yeah. Um, okay. Still Stay participate tuned. in the Matrix, but um, offer a little different scoring system and some other things. So we're just in the very beginning couple, two or three Zoom calls. And Ooh, there have been Zoom calls. With Any the, official visits? Because that's when we start uh, no taking No official visits. Uh, okay. Website got a call with the website designer on Friday. So okay, yeah. this is getting serious. Yeah. Nice. So uh, you know, maybe then if I get some some cash, I can get you know a different color recliner or something. <laughs> That's I awesome. get I get what Ryan's saying, but man, it just where's all this money going to come from, man? For nil and facilities every five years. And, I know, man. I know it's a lot of money. I'm just trying to get. Some money to go to Lenny's tomorrow. <laughs> well, enjoy it. Enjoy Bloomington. I'm always jealous of you when I hear that you're going down to Bloomington. Have yeah, fun. Tell I us will. T that we said Thank hello. You. All righty. And uh, cheer that baseball team on.